Our scripture reading today is Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up from the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord for us. Hey, good morning, church. What a joy it is to gather this morning. Last Sunday, of course, we were out at Skyview Ranch for our church picnic. Did anybody have a good time out there at the church picnic? It's just a fantastic uh, annual event we do where um, it's just a different environment. It's a different setting. You know, we gather each and every Sunday in this place, and I feel like we're not a church that's really stuffy and formal. You know, we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty laid back, even here in our building. But when you go off-site into a setting like that, it's even more relaxed. <laughs> uh, and I'm not just talking about what we wear, but just e- even in terms of the fellowship and the, and the time there. And so uh, thank you for participating. If you weren't there, come next year. It's an annual event. It's just a great time uh, to worship and to experience nature. We, we share a meal. We play together. Uh, I even got an amen during the, the sermon, okay? That's, <laughs> that's what was going on out at Skyview. Uh, I really like that. You could do it again this morning if you want. Um, but uh, just thankful for that time together as a church family. We, we have this vision, and we're really leaning into being a vibrant community. And I know there are times where we fall short of that. I know there are times where we're, we're not that. But to me, last Sunday was a moment where I, 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 I realized this is what a vibrant community looks like. And so I saw a glimpse of that um, swimming in the pool and uh, just enjoying time together. So let's continue to press on to be a vibrant community, not just once a year there, but each and every week, each and every day as we serve together here at MCA, as we live life together in core groups. And so thank you uh, to our church family. That, that blessed uh, this pastor's heart, and it was a great and wonderful time. So let's keep all of that up. Um, for this morning, I'm just thrilled that you are here today. I'm thrilled that you have chosen to come to gather with us. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. And so we're pressing on with our summer sermon series. As you know, this is uh, in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And I just want to say this has been so good to hear the stories of Jesus. We're not going verse by verse through the entire book. We're doing a selection of about 10 weeks, but it's been so good to hear about the ministry of Jesus. And what has struck me as we've been, as I've been reading in Luke and and preparing for these sermons is how Jesus just consistently connected with people that society pushed out. 
The, the people that were looked down on, the people that were, that you're insignificant, you're unimportant, those are the people that Jesus connects with. Those are the people that Jesus impacts. So the disabled man, the Roman soldier, the sinful woman, the ten lepers, as we're going to see this morning, a tax collector. And, and this morning, I should clarify, um, this is a parable. Uh, we haven't done very many uh, parables during this series. This is only the second one that I've done, um, the other being the parable of the lost things. Most of these have been r- real-life stories of what happened with Jesus. Uh, in fact, I think it'd be good for us, uh, and maybe next year we should look at a whole sermon series on parables of Jesus. I would get really excited about, about that. But this is, this is a parable that Jesus tells. And let me just give it to you right here up front. I've got all of your attention right here, right now. <laughs> this is a parable from Luke 18 that Jesus tells, and it's about pride. It's a parable about pride. So what Jesus does here is he tells a story, a parable. And he tells a story about two very different men who pray two very different prayers. Now, the one man is a religious leader. He's sort of the guy that people look up to. He's a Pharisee. The other guy is a low-down, good-for-nothing cheater and scoundrel. He's a tax collector. And his prayer is amazing. And I opened our prayer this morning with it. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's this very simple, very humble prayer that he prays. He he prays for God's mercy, and do you know what? He receives it. The tax collector goes home justified, right, in good standing with the Lord. He receives God's mercy. And so here's the lesson for us then. God calls us, each and every one of us, to approach him in humility. God calls us to approach him in humility. So Jesus teaches, if you have your Bible with you, by the way, open it up, please. Luke chapter 18. In fact, we'll just go to the, to the end. I'm kind of giving a summary and a snapshot right now. So uh, we can look at verse 14 where Jesus teaches then. He says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so the challenge is very simple this morning. Will we humble ourselves? Will we be like the tax collector? (laughs) The tax collector. Again, he's kind of the dirty, rotten guy in this story. And I mean, in terms of the way he operated and the way he was viewed. Will we recognize that we will never impress God with our good deeds and our righteousness, with what we've done? Will we recognize that? Will we recognize who we really are? Sinners in need of God's mercy. So, yeah, the tax collector would have been someone that people looked down on. The Pharisee would have been considered the good guy in this story. Jesus just has this amazing way when he tells stories of flipping the script. Because he he presents there are two guys in the story. and, And the Pharisee, well, when you hear about there are two guys and one's a Pharisee. Okay, he's our guy. He's the hero. He's the good guy. Right? Again, leader in the town. These are, these are super religious men, and they're really careful about obeying the law. You know that about Pharisees. They, want, they really wanted to obey the law. So in the Torah, which is the Hebrew scriptures that have the, the, the law in them, uh, we count about 613 laws there. But if following 613 laws in the Torah wasn't good enough, 
then the Pharisees began to add laws and rules to that. (laughs) So basically what they did was they had a system of laws about the laws. It wasn't enough just to say, hey, let's keep these laws. They created additional rules. They had something called the Mishnah, and that explained, here's how you obey the Torah. So follow the Mishnah because it will lead you to follow the Torah, which is God's law. Then they had the Talmud. That's commentary on the Mishnah. So listen to what the Talmud says. It tells you about the Mishnah, which tells you about the Torah. Again, laws upon laws upon laws. This is the way they operated. We, we don't want to break this law, so then let's establish this law. Sometimes these are called fence laws. Let's establish this law because we don't want to go anywhere near that one. That's the Pharisee. That's the religious guy. And again, the tax collector he is at the bottom of the religious food chain. Everyone would have looked down on him and despised him. He, he would have been hired by the pagan Romans, the ones occupying Israel. So he's, he's a Jewish guy, but he's hired by the pagans. He's working for them. And he could charge, he, as a tax collector, he could charge whatever he wanted in taxes. And then he gives to the Romans what they're, what they're asking for, and then he keeps the rest for himself. And so, of course, they're char- the tax collectors are charging exorbitant taxes and getting rich themselves off of their poor brothers and sisters. whom they're, So they're seen as uh, betrayers of their people and uh, not keeping in line with the teachings of the law. So he's the villain in the story. You know, Jesus sets this up as there were two men, a a Pharisee and a tax collector. The original audience immediately hears Pharisee good, tax collector bad. But he flips the script on this particular parable because it's two very different men with two very different prayers. I want to share a modern paraphrase of this parable. Uh, This is written by Dr. David Dykes and... uh, it's so good. I, 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 I want to share this with you. I, I read this and just bring, bring this parable basically into, into our world. And so this is a modern paraphrase of this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He calls it the parable of the deacon and the drug pusher. The deacon and the drug pusher. So I'll, I'll read this for us. As Deacon Doug walked into church one Sunday morning, he was disgusted to see Larry Lowlife there. Now, Larry was a drug pusher. He'd just gotten out of jail. Doug warned some of the ushers, keep a close watch on Larry because he is a no-good crook. Before the offering, it was Doug's time to pray. He walks proudly to the microphone, and he begins to pray using his religious tone of voice. Heavenly Father, I thank thee that I've been a deacon in this church for 20 years. I remember when I built this building using my own two hands. And I thank thee that I haven't missed a single Sunday for over ten years. There were times, O Lord, when I was sick, but I came anyway. And Father, thou knowest I used to sing in the choir until I was persecuted by the song leader who wouldn't sing my style of music. But I can endure persecution just like thou didst. Thou hast blessed me financially, so I've been able to give you much more than just ten percent. And I thank thee that I am morally pure, for I don't drink, and I don't cuss, well, at least not on Sundays, and I don't smoke unfiltered cigarettes, and I don't use drugs or sell them like someone who is among us today. Lord, we need more people just like me in our church. And Lord, help everyone to come out tomorrow night at 7 p.m. at Oak Park Field to watch our church softball team beat the Methodists again. And bless the gift and the giver. Amen. After napping through much of the sermon, Deacon Doug strolled out of church feeling good about himself because he made it through another Sunday. 
He liked leaving church because he didn't think, have to think about God again until the next Sunday. Meanwhile, Larry Lowlife was sitting in the very back pew of the church. After hearing the message about God's forgiveness, Larry slipped onto his knees and he began to pray. Holding his face in his hands, he sobbed quietly, Oh God, I'm the dirtiest sinner in this town and I'm sorry. I don't deserve it, but is there any way you can wash away my filthy mistakes? Please, God, please, I need you. And I tell you that it was Larry New Life and not Deacon Doug who went home that day right before God. For he who struts his stuff before God will eventually be slapped down. But when you admit you're like dirt compared to God's purity, he will pick you up and clean you up. That's a paraphrase. That, that's when you take the scriptures and you just rework it into your own words. So it's not a translation of the Bible. It's a paraphrase. But wow. It takes this sort of far removed ancient practice of, you know, Pharisees, tax collectors, and it brings it right into a modern day church. Where one man who is seen as pious and esteemed and holy, who, who, who's a leader in the church, is not humble before God. And another, who's despised, who's looked down upon, falls to his knees with a genuine heart cry, Oh Lord, have mercy. So you think back to the parable Jesus tells and you think about the Pharisee. And he wanted to, for others to see him. That was kind of his goal. He wanted others to see how good he was. That what he was doing there with his prayer, it was almost like a, a public performance. It was almost like he was there just so that other people would see him and think certain things about him. It was all about the audience. It, it really wasn't even a, a prayer uh, to God. It was all about him. Just part of religious show. His, his prayer wasn't even directed toward God. It was about himself. For the benefit of other people. Now Jesus has something to say about this in Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. Verse 5, he says, But when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. The Pharisee was only doing what he was doing. So that others could see. The tax collector on the other hand. He doesn't care what other people think. He, he, his prayer in this, in this parable. In Luke chapter 18. Was clearly seeking God. He showed up because he was in trouble. We don't know, you know anything other than that. We, he showed up because he was in trouble. And he was asking if God could help him. You see there, too, if you look closely, the body language of this tax collector. He reveals his sense of unworthiness. Like, he doesn't walk to the front of the crowd. He keeps his distance. He's not focusing on other people. He's humbling himself. Why? Because the humble focus on Christ. So as this morning, as we're learning about how God calls us to humble ourselves before him, this is our first point, that the humble focus on Christ. And I want to say this really clearly this morning, that our worship is for an audience of one. 
Now, worship should be taking place seven days a week in our lives. That's what we're attesting to the worthiness of. It's what we're saying is valuable and worth something. But corporate worship as well. When we gather on Sundays and we have 20 minutes of singing praises to God, that's for an audience of one. And I love the story I heard uh, about a a pastor who had a woman come and and, uh, talk with him and say, hey, I have a problem. I really don't like the worship. And he said, hey, I have good news for you. Thank you for sharing your your concern and your preference, but I've got really, really good news for you. She's like, oh, she's getting excited. He says, it's not for you. The worship isn't for you. It's not about you. And so I want, to, I want you to hear this this morning, that even in the, the corporate worship space, when we come, when we raise our voices in song, it's for an audience of one. It's for Christ. It is for Christ alone. We thank the Lord for what he's done. We call to him for his help and for his guidance. We fix our eyes on Christ. That's what the humble do. Of course, we have this teaching from Hebrews 12 too. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. But what's the temptation? It's to focus on others. (laughs) That's the temptation. And and even when we gather as a church family, the temptation can be, what will they think if I sing off key? What will they think if I fall down on my face before God Almighty? That's the temptation, I think, is, is what will others think? When we do that, we don't have our focus on Christ. We have our focus like the Pharisee did on other people and what others think. So we've got to be cautious about comparing ourselves. I mentioned that just last Sunday, didn't I? The comparison game. When you play it, you always lose. Because you either think you're better than someone and you're haughty about it. And Jesus, that's really what this parable is getting at. Or you think you're worse than them and you end up feeling even more miserable. You lose every time. So I want to just speak this to us this morning, this idea of keeping our focus on Christ. Keeping our eyes set on him. Not comparing ourselves, not thinking about what others are concerning themselves with. Not just going through religious activity and motion. But a genuine, heartfelt humbling of ourselves before the Lord. We can look more closely at the prayer of the Pharisee. Really, it's, it's laughable. It's humorous. He wanted others to know about his goodness, and so he brags in his prayer about how he fasted and tithed and kept all the commandments. And he says in verse 11, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He's playing the comparison game. He's promoting himself because he thinks he's better than the tax collector. Have you ever noticed some people are just, they seem like they're the most happy when they're talking about themselves. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? Like like for some people, you're talking or someone else is talking and it's like, oh, they can barely even stay engaged. But when you really see them come to life is, when they're talking about themselves. And I'm not saying we shouldn't share with one another. We should. 
But I've just noticed that, that it's really coming from this place of self-centeredness and pride. When I do that. And pride is kind of the sickness that you don't self-diagnose. <laughs> you don't realize it. Only, only the people around you go, wow, that, that guy is really full of himself. That guy really thinks highly of himself. Pride has this way of blinding us to our own faults. It also has a way of kind of magnifying the failure of others. You know? So when I m- make a mistake, when I mess up, it's like, well, that was an exception. But when you do, it's like, oh, because you're incompetent, because you're unable. You see, the, the reason that the comparison game is wrong and unbiblical is because we shouldn't compare ourselves to one another. We should compare ourselves to God's standard. Like that, that is the comparison that we are called to make that we should make. So let's go to the very beginning of this passage in verse 9 and just see very clearly that Jesus tells this parable to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. <laughs> Jesus tells this parable. Oh, I should share a, a, sto- a little anecdote, a story I heard about a man who lived in a white house, and he was very proud of his white house. And it stood out clean and brilliant against this beautiful backdrop. This was in Ireland. This beautiful backdrop of green, these grass-covered hills. But then one day it snowed. (laughs) And the snow was pure white. And against the backdrop of the pure fallen snow, he noticed that the house was actually quite dingy and dirty. It was the same house. Two different days. The only thing that had changed was the backdrop. You see, when you compare yourself to a murderer, you hear... hear, Stories ripped from the headlines, oh my goodness, that's awful, what a terrible, what a terrible person, what, what horrific, gruesome thing. You compare yourself to a murderer, you all of a sudden, you seem like you're pretty, you got it all together. <laughs> well, I've never done that. You seem like you're, you're, you're clean, you're pure, you're, you, 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 your, your hands aren't covered you know, in blood, even metaphorically. But what if you compare yourself to the purity of Christ? All of a sudden you realize, I'm not that clean white house against the beautiful grassy hills. I'm the white house compared to the white snowy mountaintops. I'm dingy, I'm dirty. Well, and by the way, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, that if you are angry with another person, angry with another person, you are under judgment just like a murderer. See, the Bible teaches us that the humble don't think too highly of themselves. We've talked about how the humble focus on Christ. This is our second point. The humble don't think too highly of themselves. The tax collector readily admitted his need, his shortcoming, his failure. Have mercy, he cried. He readily admitted his need. He, he couldn't even lift up his head, it says, right? If you, again, if you look at the body language of this individual, he, he cannot even bring his eyes to look heavenward. He beats his chest. He stands at a distance. There we go, verse 13. We're in Luke chapter 18. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He says, I'm chief of sinners. 
He says, I need help. And there's something so good here for us, church, that we don't have to pray those really long, beautiful, eloquent, churchy, like we heard the, the paraphrase from, you know, Deacon Doug, and it was all these these and nows and kind of old school, ancient, archaic, biblical language. We don't have to pray prayers that are all so pretty and nice and beautiful. We see that this man, the tax collector, did not think too highly of himself. If you pray a simple prayer that comes from your heart, God hears you, and God will answer you. Sometimes those are breath prayers. Sometimes those are one-word prayers. Help! A cry to the Lord of humility and desperation. He hears you. He'll answer you. In the classic football movie, Rudy, which is the story of this young man who... Uh, he's undersized, and he has this dream of playing for Notre Dame. You've, many of you have probably seen this movie. Um, there's a scene, and I brought a clip this morning to show, but there's a scene where Rudy meets with a priest to kind of figure, figure some things out, and I just uh, I love the perspective he hears. So check this out. I love that. I think that should be our perspective. And not, not that we shouldn't get into theology. I'm, I'm for that as well. But I, I love that. Here, here is a man of the cloth, a learned man, an educated man. And he says he's come to only two realizations. There is a God and I'm not him. There is a humility there. There is a simplicity there. So I think that should be our attitude as well. And how much peace he gives us, my friends. How much peace he gives us when we desperately need his mercy and simply and humbly Come to him as a child does with a request. And so there's an important lesson here for us that we should not think more highly of ourselves. This is the way, this is the way Paul words it in Romans 12. Not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We are to simply acknowledge there is a God and I'm not him. When we do that, we position ourselves right where the Lord wants us because the humble will be honored. That's our third point this morning as we understand that God calls us approach him in humility. This is the biblical truth, that the humble will be honored. In this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector from Luke 18, Jesus says one of the men went home justified before God. One of them. And it was the tax collector. And again, in, in, in the end of it, he makes this clear. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But that's not the message we hear from the world, is it? You see, the world says, look out for number one. The world says, get yours. The world says, climb to the top and it doesn't matter who you have to trample in order to get there. But God says, humble yourselves. God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, they'll be added to you as well.
So there's a real challenge here for me today as well. <laughs> because I'm a church leader. Am I religious and proud of it? Like the Pharisee? And I stand in front of, of people every single week to pray. Do I do that because I, I want people to know that I have a walk with Christ? There's a real challenge here for me. I think there is one for you as well. That God calls us to approach him in humility. Don't buy the lies of the world that say promote self, get yours. And so what happens, of course, is the Pharisee does that where he promotes self. He's seen as the, the, the pious, you know, religious person. Just like I think sometimes we do when we, we attend church week after week after week after week. But we leave the exact same way we came in. Like he went home that day the exact same way. Having tooted his own horn. Do we do the same thing when we come into the congregation? When we gather before the presence of the almighty and living God. But go out just the same way we came in. It's like sometimes I think even for attending a worship service, sun, you know, Sunday church, it's something that we do. Yeah, I went to church this week. Check it off of that list. In a way, it's all, it, again, it almost becomes a source of pride. Like I did that. Yeah, I go, I go there. I give there. I serve there. But what's the heart behind it? I mean... The Lord has so much to say, and these are kind of a gut-wrenching verse, but I've been drawn back to it again. Isaiah twenty-nine thirteen. These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts. Their hearts are far from me. Oh, God. Oh, God, let us not honor you with our lips but be far from you with our hearts. He says through the, the prophet Isaiah in that same verse, their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. It's the system that the Pharisee was trapped in. And I want to warn us that we wouldn't be caught in the same thing. You see, the problem with religion is that it's all about the outward Religion is all about the external, what you can see, what you do, what you accomplish, your performance. And what God truly cares about is not what's on the outside. <laughs> 1 Samuel 16, 7. What God cares about is what's on the inside. What he cares about is our heart. What he cares about is, will we humble ourselves before him? Will we seek him with everything in us? I mean, Jesus has, you, you know these passages, Jesus criticizes the Pharisees, and remember he talks about how it's like, there's a dirty cup, or, or can you imagine the dishes in your home, and you only wash the outside of it? <laughs> That's what Jesus accuses the Pharisees of, it's like, it's like you're taking dirty dishes, and you refuse to wash the inside of the dish, you just wash the outside. So when it's sitting on the shelf, oh, it looks nice and bright and clean and beautiful, but who would want to use that? It's disgusting, it's filthy. He says they're like whitewashed tombs. This is Matthew 23. He says they're shiny and clean on the outside, but on the inside, they're filled with rottenness, with the bones of dead people. The good news 
of course, is when you humble yourself, when you call on the Lord, he meets you right where you are. You don't have to get all cleaned up and shiny and pretty and then come to the Lord. He meets you right where you are. Whether it's Larry Lowlife at the back of the church or whether it's the, the tax collector who just beats his chest and calls out, help God, have mercy, O God, on me, a sinner. But when you, when you call on him, when you trust in Jesus, he meets you right where you are. He invites you into his kingdom to be his son and his daughter. And the life with Jesus, it starts now, it lasts forever. <laughs> so that's the good news. The bad news is if we refuse to do that, well, the wisdom of Proverbs says in Proverbs sixteen eighteen, pride goes before what? Somebody help me. Destruction. destruction. Now we could use that, that little pithy saying to, to talk about how uh, for young people in life, if you, you don't humble yourselves, you know, something bad is going to happen. But we can use that to say destruction is the end for the person who does not humble themselves before almighty God. So that this verse has application right here for today. The choices you make today have consequences, but it has implications for eternity. More importantly, Pride goes before destruction. Eternal destruction is the end for those who refuse to humble themselves. This is sobering. You see, the good news of the gospel isn't all just happy butterflies, rainbows, cupcakes, and Jesus loves you. The good news of the gospel is when we, in our sin, don't repent and turn from it and come to Christ, eternity Apart from him, in the flames of hell, is what awaits us. You know, I've said this before, but it's not good news unless you understand what you're saved from. That's the whole truth of the gospel, my friends. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. And so what's my heart? What's my desperate plea? What's my encouragement? I want you to go home today justified before God. (laughs) I want you to, to, in this place, be changed by an encounter with Christ. I want you to humble yourselves as the tax collector did. Be right with God and be thankful for it. <laughs> the tax collector went home justified before God, not the religious Pharisee. He entered into that place so burdened, so overwhelmed, so weighed down by his sin, he couldn't even lift up his head. When he cried out to God for mercy, he got it. He hadn't done anything to deserve it. (laughs) He he had done wrong. He he had backstabbed people. He had cheated people. He He had broken the law. He can't brag about his salvation. But he receives the mercy of God because he humbled himself. And so then you're left with, all I can do is thank God. All I can do is is walk in gratitude for what he has done. If if I'm going to boast, the only boasting I can do is in Christ, in the Lord, and what he has done. So when we talk about humility and how God calls us to approach him with humility, I want to highlight that again. We're going to draw to a close here in just a minute. Humility is important to God. (laughs) Like when Jesus came to earth and walked among us as a man and and, and God in flesh, what was he? He was humble. 
He demonstrated that for us. We see this in the teaching of Jesus, but we see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus washed feet. Jesus loved and served the least of these. Jesus welcomed interruptions. Right? He, he would be going about his, his religious task. We talked about the guys who lowered the friend through the roof. Right? He's, like, he's in the, the place where it's like time to teach, time to preach, time to instruct. He welcomed interruptions. Why? Because he cared for people. Because he was humble. He touched and laid hands on lepers. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. Well, here's, here's what he did. This is the truth of Scripture from Philippians chapter 2. He made himself nothing. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, we humble ourselves because Jesus did it. We also know this biblical truth that God lifts up those who are bowed down. In the town of Bethlehem, the church of the Holy Nativity is built over the place believed to be Jesus' birthplace. It's this huge stone complex, but it has only one tiny door through which people can enter. This is the door of humility. It used to be bigger. It used to be a larger door frame, more of a regular size. A grown person could walk through upright, maybe even multiple people. But um, their enemies had this habit of, of attacking them and even riding horses into this plate to, to desecrate it, to attack them. And so they changed it and they made the door smaller much, much smaller. No horse can fit through that opening. Only one person can. And even at that, they have to stoop down. (laughs) It's just this great picture of how we must humble ourselves, how we must stoop, how we must say, God, I must decrease and you must increase the prayer of John the Baptist. If we want to receive God's mercy, we humble ourselves as this tax collector did. King David prays in Psalm 51, have mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So church, may the Lord grant us mercy today. As we humble ourselves, as we focus on Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, in the quietness of this moment, we seek you. We confess, Lord, that we're so often distracted by the world. We confess, Lord, that we're so often puffed up on ego and pride and self. Concerned with what we'll eat, what we'll wear, 
what we look like, what others think. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us and have mercy. I pray, Lord, that as we meet with you in this place, you would change us. That we would not go out the same way we came in, but we have met with the Almighty God. We have humbled ourselves in your presence. We have come to that same theological conclusion. There is a God and I'm not him. So thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you are doing. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you each step of life's journey. We don't see what's around the next bend, but oh God, you do. And you will be faithful. So Lord, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray these things only in his precious name. Amen.